This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Alrighty, welcome back to Brojo Online. And today I'm going to go into my own personal life in minute detail. Essentially, I've completely changed the way I live my life and come to realize that confidence, feeling good about who you are as a person and being proud of who you are and wanting to be you, comes from the way you live every day. It doesn't come from accomplishments and successes and titles and status and rewards. It comes from how you act minute by minute by minute. And so I've come to realize that confidence isn't so much a feeling as it is a practice. It's a way of living. Once you get that way of living sorted, you'll still have ups and downs emotionally, but you'll like who you are consistently. And so today I'm going to share what my practice is, my daily way of living, the key elements to my life that allow me to feel confident consistently, and how that compares to what I used to do, the significant differences to how I live now compared to how I lived especially in the first 25 years or so of my life. I, I like to see my my old self as basically being a people-pleasing Dexter, if you know Dexter the serial killer. So I was, I was a nice guy syndrome from my earliest memory. I was trying to please other people and make them like me. And I could feel very little. I was very emotionally suppressed. I had a lot of shame around emotions due to various shames around masculinity. So I was constantly trying to make people like me, and I barely felt anything. That was the old me. And there was almost no confidence in that guy. He didn't like being him, except when he achieved or succeeded. And he constantly was seeking a better life, and never satisfied with who he was and what was happening for him. This is who I am now, which is very hard for me to define. And that's part of the improvement I've made, is that I'm no longer a thing. I'm no longer an identity that I cling to. I was just watching Game of Thrones, and they've got these uh, assassins called the Faceless Men. These people who are no one at all. They have no identity. They have no names. And that's kind of how I feel about myself now. Someone who's simply seeking the truth, but never clings to any one thing. Who has values and principles, but not an identity. Not a thing that he has to be all the time. No rules to follow. Just guiding values. Integrity, you might say. So that's that's the main transition from the people-pleasing Dexter to the truth-seeking faceless man, as I like to think of myself now, which of course in itself is just another identity that I'll have to shed one day. And what I've come to do is basically categorize the way I live into six core values, the same values that we express in Brojo. Responsibility curiosity, courage, honesty, acceptance, and respect. And what I'm going to talk about today is how I've translated these six values into daily practices of living, how these six values appear every day so frequently and so automatically that I barely have to give them any thought. I've made them a part of my life over the course of about a 10-year conscious process. So that if I just follow my usual daily routine, I can be guaranteed to be living with a lot of integrity. I don't have to think about it too hard. And I'm going to talk about, so I'll talk about these values. I'll talk about what I do now versus what I used to do 
the changes I've made and hopefully I'll give you some insight as to why I've changed those things. So I'm going to start with responsibility. Responsibility is what I call the father of all masculine values. In fact, it's the entry point value. You cannot live with integrity until you take responsibility for yourself. None of the other values can happen before responsibility is taken. And we've seen this, you know, so many times in people who come to Brojo, as they can't really make much progress until they take full responsibility for their lives and for who they are. And I came to realize this quite early on, you know, my people pleasing actually came from a victim standpoint. I felt like I was hard done by, uh, that I was underprivileged or disadvantaged in some way, especially socially. And that viewpoint didn't help me. It didn't matter whether it was right or wrong. What mattered is that it wasn't helpful, which I'll go into more detail later. So responsibility meant essentially deciding that my life was mine to create, that who I was was a result of my decisions and my behavior. And while things happened to me that were out of my control, my reaction to those things was always under my control. And since my reaction decided the quality of life, it meant the quality of my life was entirely under my control. I came to that realization very slowly over time. And I want to share a few of the things that I do now as a result of that realization. I want to start with the beginning, which is the morning routine I do in the morning. Now, the old me used to rush in the morning. I would always sleep in way past my alarm. I'd snooze it like 50 times. And then I would blast my way into the day. I'd still be half asleep and eating breakfast while I'm in the car driving to work. You know, it took me until about like 10.30 a.m. or so to actually wake up properly because I rushed into my day, no preparation, no time for myself, constantly prioritizing everybody else's needs over my own. And that's not a responsible way to start the day. You have to assume that all your bullshit from the day before is still with you and there needs to be a complete reset, like restarting a computer every morning to make sure it functions properly. And that's what a morning routine is for me. Now, I won't go into details, but my morning routine includes a cold shower. I'll talk about why that is later. Journaling. Again, I'll talk about that more later. Having a slow cooked breakfast that I enjoy at a leisurely pace with my girlfriend as a social uh, start to the day. It includes reading a passage from a Stoicism book, at least it currently includes that, and five minutes meditation. Now this process has changed over the years. I used to have stretching, sometimes I used to go for a walk. It doesn't really matter what is in your morning routine specifically. What matters is that you take the time out for yourself in the morning to get your shit sorted, to be prepared for the day. Whatever it is, it's going to prepare you physically and mentally for the day. My my cold shower prepares me physically, you know, and I brush my teeth and I'll even admit to putting a little bit of, uh, what do you call that stuff, moisturizer on my face because I've got the mad flaky skin. You know, I kind of get myself feeling fresh. And then I eat breakfast with my girlfriend, so I'm prepared socially. And then I meditate, so I'm prepared mentally. And I journal, so I'm prepared emotionally. All of it's kind of sorts me out, so the day starts with a fresh Dan. So that's part of my responsibility. Other things that have changed. I now uh, run my own business, and I used to be an employee. 
Now, this doesn't mean you have to run a business to be responsible for your life. But for me, what it represents is that I took responsibility for enjoying the work that I do every day. And because I did start to take responsibility for that in my mid-twenties, eventually this has led to me running my own business because I constantly tried to improve the quality of my work. I constantly tried to make it more enjoyable for me, more meaningful for me. And this led me through dozens, literally dozens of different jobs and roles and promotions until I finally came to the conclusion that the most meaningful work for me would be something that I completely own and control myself. I couldn't live under anybody else's roof anymore. Now, some people could easily, or for a certain time in their life that works for them. Or you can actually be an employee as a way of building up capital to start your business. That's still quite responsible. But I will say I'm quite biased here. I do believe that overall, the concept of an employee is like a form of slavery. You're essentially given just enough money to do somebody else's work for them. And ultimately, I feel that that's a victim place to be. Now, if you view it as paid training, as you view it as a place to build up capital, as you view it as a starting point for you to build your own thing, it changes its frame completely. It becomes something very responsible. But if you're in a job where you're like, I have to be here for the money even though I hate it, that's a victim mindset. You're now a slave to that job. And you've got to understand, you were born and spent most of the early part of your life without a job, so you definitely don't need one to survive. So the idea that you need your current job to survive is bullshit. You don't. You just come to believe that you do. And the idea that you can't do your own thing or, or create a career that's built in your own image and follows its own rules, it's also bullshit. You might be an employee, but you could still convince your boss to let you work from home, or you could do three part-time jobs to give you variation, or you can work for a company that's based overseas, or whatever it is you need to do so that you're free and responsible. And essentially the way you work as well, you know, in my old job, I started taking responsibility. Like if something went wrong, I put my hand up to fix it rather than blame everybody else, which is what everybody else was doing. You know, I sought out uh, extra projects and training I could do to make my job more meaningful rather than waiting for those things to be handed to me. You know, when I wanted a promotion, I went to the guy who was in the role above me and said, how do you do this job? Can you give me some of that work so I can learn? And on and on. This was me taking responsibility for my work being meaningful. Language. Responsibility has a lot to do with language, and I've changed the language I use considerably, or at least I try to. The old me used to use a lot of victim language. You make me feel I had to do this because, and so on and so on. The language you use describes your reality. You think in language, you imagine in language, you uh, stack evidence in your mind in language. So the type of language you use creates a reality. And I'm always weary of this, and I try my very best to use responsible language, whether I'm talking to someone, journaling, writing, or thinking inside my head. You know, for example, I remember I was sitting at my computer, and I was frustrated and stressed about something. And I noticed uh, my girlfriend making some noise in the background. And I really wanted to blame her for my frustration and stress. Now, the truth was, my brain was just looking to get out of responsibility. It wanted somebody else to be at fault for my stress. And so when I told her this, I made sure to say, I'm trying to find a reason to blame you for my stress, 
rather than saying, you make me stressed, which is how a victim speaks. So I try to speak both to myself and others in this way as consistently as possible. This idea that whenever I say something, it's under the the kind of umbrella of I make myself. You know, whatever's happening in me is my own creation. My brain sets off the chemicals that give me my emotions, so I make myself feel. You know, my brain forms beliefs and stacks evidence and creates thoughts, so I make myself think. I make myself imagine, I make myself assume, I make myself blame, I make myself theorize. This idea, I always make myself do it, so when I go to speak, it has to be spoken from that place. I make myself stressed, I make myself late, all of these things. So language is a huge factor on responsibility, it's one of the biggest changes I've made, probably one of the most important ones. And a more practical note, responsibility comes down to my task list. I do everything 80-20, Pareto principle now, whereas I used to try and do the whole list perfectly, especially when it comes to work. So at work, I used to have this massive task list, and I'd work late doing unpaid overtime to get the whole list done. And it wouldn't really matter what order I did the list in, because I knew I was going to do it all. So I'd often leave the most uncomfortable task till the end, and do the nice, easy, quick wins at the beginning, thinking that this was somehow productive. What I do now is I have a list of priority categories. There is the must-do, and these are the most uncomfortable and therefore most important tasks. That's followed by the probably-should-do category, which are things that are quite important, but if they get missed a day or whatever, nobody dies. And then the next couple of categories are basically nice-to-have. And I'm allowed to not do those ones. And those are the easy wins and the low-impact activities. So when I do my task list now, I go in a specific order and I force myself to eat the big ugly frog, to do the things I don't want to do or feel uncomfortable doing first, and do the things that are easy and rewarding and nice and fun last, if I have time. The reason for this is because those tasks that are uncomfortable are proven to be the best for my quality of life. They're the ones I need to do if I want my business to function well, if I want my life to be balanced, if I want my health to be good. Those ones must be prioritized, and that's what responsibility is for me when it comes to task lists. And this actually passes over onto my calendar as well. My calendar used to be a victim to other people's needs. I would squeeze anyone and their tasks in at any point in time. You know, if somebody wanted help, I'd push all my stuff around to fit helping them in somebody wanted to chat, I'd push all my social appointments around to fit in that chat. Now, I'll even send my own friends a booking link for my calendar, and they have to find a time that suits me, just to have a casual chat. I will put people off weeks if the one time they want to speak doesn't work for me for a couple of weeks. I My calendar now, it's not totally inflexible, but basically it's a first in, most important, first served priority basis. If someone wants a last minute chat with me, they're probably going to be shit out of luck because I've got all my shit booked and I like to keep my day structured and ordered. There is time for flexibility, but the times when there isn't cannot be moved, cannot be overridden by somebody's sort of needy last minute spontaneous panic. 
So that's responsibility. That's how I bring responsibility into my day. And as a general theme, I'm constantly looking to control what I can control, which is my behavior. And as we'll talk about later with acceptance, it's to not try to control what I can't control, that which is responsibility. And all of these things I've talked about are me trying to control what I can control and let the outcomes fall where they may. So that's responsibility. Next is curiosity. So the value of curiosity is seeking the truth, essentially. And my studies in psychology in my early 20s taught me a lot about curiosity and the barriers we have to genuine curiosity in our mind, specifically argument, fallacies, and cognitive biases. It's important to understand that your brain is wired actually against curiosity to some extent. Your brain is looking to find answers, but it also wants to limit that search to make it as easy as possible. And that means processes in the brain like scripting and stereotyping and cognitive biases that actually prevent the full truth being revealed. It actually tries to simplify things. And you can see this in somebody who's got a strongly conservative mindset. They want to keep believing what they already believe and they want things to stay the same. So curiosity is much more liberal in mindset. It's about what is the real truth. I don't mean liberal in a political sense. What I mean is constantly looking for a better answer, a change. So there's a few ways that I do this in practical terms, how I apply curiosity. Aside from the fact that I just challenge pretty much every thought I have to see how truthful it is. But in more practical terms, one thing I like to do, especially more lately, is break my echo chamber. And Mike, the coach, has done a great course in Brojo on this. I fully and highly recommend it. Now, the old me used to try and confirm the beliefs I already had. I looked for proof that I was right. So if I was online about some hot topic issue, I'd be reading all the people who agreed with me and talking to the people who agreed with me and reading the books that confirm what I already believed or enhanced what I already believed, but along the same grains. What I do these days is I look for the opposite. At least I do it at least a few times a week. I will go in and I will explore my enemy's point of view as open-mindedly as possible. I'll try to understand them. You know, just this week I'm doing a massive review on something called the Manosphere or Red Pill which is the overall overarching belief system that supports pickup artistry and seduction as part of the work that it does. Pickup artistry and seduction is something I'm now currently against, but I want to understand why people are for it. And so I'm going to go in there and, and listen to them and read their stuff and critique it as accurately as possible. I'm anti-religion in most cases, but once a week I meet with a friend who educates me on Islam and mysticism and ancient Christianity. So I, I open my ears and I listen to her and I let her show me how parts of those religious beliefs are things I actually believe in and agree with myself. So I'm constantly looking to break out of what I believe to become as wise as possible. You know, the wisest people know both sides of the argument and the flaws and strengths of both sides of the argument. They do not stick to just one side. So I actively try to hear the other side for my own benefit. And I don't try to prove them wrong. I try to let them prove me wrong, if it's possible. And if they don't, well, then it means I was on track. Another principle I like to stick with for curiosity is always being a beginner. 
I used to be more of a stick with what your expertise is. So if I found something I was good at, I'd only do that. And if I tried something new and I wasn't very good to begin with, I'd quit immediately. Whereas now, once I get good at something, I look for something I can be new at. You know, I look for a new hobby. Uh, Even just, like, I went through a little phase this year of learning how to do magic card tricks. It's not because I actually want to do magic card tricks, it's because I don't know how to do any of them. I just wanted to be a beginner at something. Briefly. I just started doing Krav Maga, the martial arts, and that's because... I'd been getting pretty good at zook dancing. Zook dancing was comfortable and easy for me now, and I could stick with that and be, you know, a big fish in a small pond, like a good zook dancer around okay zook dancers. Instead, I went to Krav Maga, and I was a guy who has nothing about Krav Maga, surrounded by people who know a lot. That beginner, be the small fish in the big pond. It's so important for curiosity to humble yourself and to test yourself and to create adaptability. It's evolution that happens at that beginner phase. When you're already an expert, you don't grow. Another action, this is curiosity more in a general sense, something I try to remind myself to do as often as possible, is being slow and thoughtful rather than what the old me used to do, which is quick auto-responses. So for example, if I was talking to someone and they disagreed with me, the old me would quickly try to fix that situation. The new me goes silent and allows the information to digest. I try to slow down in general. I slow down. I literally walk slower now. I slow down everything that I do. Because I want to be more present, more mindful. I want to be here and now exploring what's real. Rather than kind of going on standby and just letting autopilot kick in. Now, some things autopilot are great for, like washing yourself in the shower, brushing your teeth, um, even doing the food shopping. But there's other things that autopilot kicks in and it's not very helpful, like having small talk conversations or even driving. These days I drive like somebody's going to try and kill me, you know. I drive very focused and careful and I try to take the best line into the corner and choose the perfect speed for the road conditions. It makes driving meaningful for me. I'll try to drive in different directions and mix up the route so that I can learn to be more adaptable and more focused. These are all acts of curiosity for me. And the final thing I'll say about curiosity is I used to choose certainty and now I try to choose confusion. You know, before I start something, the old me would try and get as good at it mentally as possible before doing any action. And now, I try to do an action without knowing what the fuck I'm doing. A great example of this is learning Czech, Czech language. Rather than going to a class and having a teacher walk me through it and hold me by the hand, I looked up the first ten phrases that most people use and I went and practiced them on my girlfriend's family. I got them wrong and people laughed at me and I didn't really know what I was saying and when they responded I didn't understand them. And actually to this day I still don't. But I'll choose that confused like make your heart beat don't know what I'm doing situation over going at all, already perfect and, and as an expert. So that's curiosity for me. Let's move on to courage. What is courage? Courage is for me it's about doing the right thing even when it feels are fearful to do it. Uh, I won't go into it now, but fear comes in many different forms. Hesitation, 
procrastination, boredom, distraction, and of course, actual fight or flight response, you know, fear. So courage for me is about going into an uncomfortable mental or emotional space at least once a day so that I'm constantly honing my courage like a weapon. I, I Courage is something I use to live by my other values. It's kind of, it's almost not a value by itself, but more like a fuel that fuels other values. So courage for me is something I need to constantly practice. It's either something deliberate, like in my development phase, I used to go up and talk to strangers a lot because that scared me. Now that no longer scares me, so it'd be pointless to do it for the sake of courage. But the old me... If something was scary, I would avoid it and look for a workaround. I'd look for the comfortable, easy way to do it. And if I couldn't find one, then I just wouldn't do it. Nowadays, I look for something I can push, something I can get a bit uncomfortable with. And the best way I can do that, without fail every day, is to start the day with a cold shower. And I mean ice cold. I mean the levers right down into the blue. Now, the great thing about a cold shower is... I've been doing it for over a year now, and I still don't want to do it. It's never gotten comfortable for me to do. And that's what I love about it, because it's always an act of courage for me to get into a cold shower. You know, that first bit where I... Because I walk in front first, so it hits my belly straight away. Takes your breath away. And that's why I do it, is so that every day I have the experience of walking into something I don't want to walk into. It's a valuable skill to develop. And if nothing else during the day proves to be particularly challenging, at least I started the day with some courage. It makes the rest of the day go easier, and it means that things I would have been scared of the rest of the day seem less. So I always look to push myself as much as possible. Now the old me was very avoidant, so I would avoid trying to figure out what my fears were or facing them. I was just looking for the like the path of least resistance. How can I live my life without having to face any fear or even feel it? These days, I try to figure out what my fears are and face them. One that I've realized, uh, well, two I've realized most recently. One is I don't like being in water over my head. I've known that for a while. But I don't like being in, especially in fresh water over my head, because I seem to have a buoyancy problem and I'm not a great swimmer. So I always get a little bit panicky when I'm like in the middle of a lake and it's far to the edge and I've got to swim there. Um, and wasps. For some reason I've got this, well, not for some reason wasp I have a phobia of because I used to cut Christmas trees for a job when I was younger and there's lots of wasps in the trees and I got stung a lot and you know now I'm like phobic of them so what did I do on the weekend there was a wasp flying around my food as there's a lot of them here in Europe and everybody else is fine with them except for me and so what I did of my girlfriend's advice is I just stayed still and I let the wasp land on my skin without hitting it I let it hang around my food without panicking and fluttering my hands too much. That was a very recent development. Up until then, I'd been doing full-on spaz-outs to try and get rid of them. And I went to a lake with my girlfriend, and even though I felt comfortable, I swam out into the middle with her, and then swam back to the edge. So I do this thing where I just let a little bit more of the fear happen than I want to let happen. Just to constantly make sure that my zone get pushed out, gets pushed out. A huge one for my development over time has been confrontation. So the old me was very focused on approval and everything I did was skewed towards approval, which meant if a conflict came up, I would compromise my integrity. I'd kind of live with integrity by default, but if it meant someone was going to not like me and disapprove of me, 
something I was very afraid of, then I would sacrifice that integrity. I'd compromise. I'd pretend to agree. I'd back down from something I cared about. I would change topic and distract. Whatever I needed to do to avoid disapproval. Now, what I think more of is let truth drive the way forward. So now I'd rather let someone hate me, which, you know, still takes courage for me because I still am wired for people to like me and I still feel upset when I find out that someone I like doesn't like me back. But now I face it and I let it happen. You know, one example is definitely in my work. There'll be somebody I really want to work with, a client I really want to coach. But deep down, I know they're not a good fit. I know they're not going to get something out of the coaching, perhaps, or I know that that'd be exhausting to work with, or I know that I'm not the best person for them. They could work with someone else to better results. So for me to tell them that, to say, actually, we're not a good fit as much as I want to work with you, goes against what my fear is telling me to do. So that's an act of courage. And a more subtle and my final sort of act of courage that's yeah a little harder to to put because you don't feel massive amounts of fear is choosing health over comfort you know just the other day in the supermarket i was collecting a bunch of stuff and i was in the you know impulse part you know down by the uh, the checkout they've got all those items that they try and get you to buy and i picked up a pack of chocolate now part of me knows why i was doing that because i have a tendency to eat emotionally so i'll eat to feel good and i knew that that's i was preparing for that so it actually took an act of courage for me to put it back, you know, especially with people watching. So it's little moments like that where I choose my health over comfort. That is actually an act of courage for me. For me to go to the gym and try to do pull-ups when the real muscly guy who just did 50 of them for a warm-up watches me fucking strain and struggle to do four and blow out my back, you know, to let him see that happen so that I can work on my health... Uh, that takes courage, and I look for those opportunities every day. There's Basically, there's lots of opportunities waiting for you when there's a situation where people are watching you, and you'll have to go and be awkward or fail in front of them. I look for those opportunities every day, and I take them. Sometimes they're very small. Just the other day, I was walking back from the supermarket, and I wanted to cross the road, but I saw a sort of big, tattooed, scary guy on the other side of the road, level with me walking at the same pace i knew if i crossed the road i'll have to walk really close to him maybe even beside him if i didn't change my pace so that's what i did i walked up and walked near him because it, just because it felt uncomfortable as soon as i noticed that i didn't want to do it and hesitant i knew it was something i needed to do it's not about walking next to the guy it's about feeling uncomfortable on purpose in a controlled way to build courage overall so that's courage Next is honesty, my favorite. Honesty is when the way you express yourself lines up with what you've got going on inside you. Now, this is probably the biggest change that's happened in my life. You know, my, the other values I'm talking about, they used to happen at least a bit in my old life. You know, at least when things were easy. I was courageous in some areas in my old life. I was certainly curious. It's what led me to make changes in the first place. I took responsibility for too much, if anything, in my old life. But honesty, that was the one I sacrificed the most. That was the one I struggled with the most. And so I've made some very big changes with honesty in my life. And I attribute my increased confidence and quality of life to these changes more than anything else that I talk about today.
So one of the first ones um, that comes to mind is polarizing. Now it used to be that the way I expressed myself always had the intention of kind of fitting in, conforming. And that if I was going to stand out, it was to do so in an impressive way to perform. So I don't mind being in a heavy metal band, even though that didn't really conform with everyone else, because it was kind of impressive to talk about. People were interested when I said I was in a band. The things I said, even if I made a strong statement in the past, it was still to get a lot of agreement and to impress people with my wisdom, to be knowledgeable, whatever. Everything I expressed in the past usually had the intention of making people like me. That was the end game. Now, I've enhanced that to make people either love or hate me. And when I say make them, I don't mean manufacture a feeling about a false guy that isn't really me. But I mean let them see who I really am, what I really believe in, my opinions, my feelings, my insecurities, all the shit that makes somebody like decide who how they feel about me. And I want to do that as quickly, as powerfully as possible. So these days I really focus on polarizing like, for example, I did, uh, I do podcasts like this one and I try to be as honest as possible in these podcasts and try to be as uh, blunt and direct with what I believe in without sugarcoating the moderation. I did one podcast that was talking about how feminism was dead. And so that brought me no fans in the feminism space. But then I also did a podcast where I talk about pickup artistry and kind of misogyny is a shitty way to live as well. So I've attacked both sides of the fence there because I disagree with both of them. I'm both in a sense anti-feminism and anti-meninism, whatever those two things are. Because I believe any sort of gender-based tribe is going to be harmful. So I'm really happy to have no fans at the end of this, you know, to alienate every other belief in order for me to be truthful. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't get scared of reactions sometimes. I do. And sometimes I get hurt by reactions, in a sense. You know, someone will send me a nasty email. I'm like, oh, damn. Kind of put a damper on my next half hour. But I choose those feelings over the comfort of fitting in. I choose honesty, polarizing honesty, over approval. And that's the, probably the best and biggest change I've ever made in my life. I can't believe how much I missed out on in the past because I was trying to make people like me. By making people like me, all they could do was like me. They couldn't love me because I wasn't strong enough thing to love. There wasn't enough about me. I had to moderate and sugarcoat and water myself down. But when you go in all raw and strong, some people are like, ugh, I don't like that flavor. But other people, it's their favorite flavor. So I've found the people in my life either love or hate me. There's not many of the ones who love me, but I don't need that many. And there's plenty, if they do hate me, they've just wandered out of my life. They don't interact with me at all. So that's a huge one. I do that as often as possible. When I say something, I go all in or I don't speak at all. I try my best to be polarizing. Another thing I bring into honesty is having the hard conversations that matter rather than putting them off and finding an easy way out. You know, a great example about this one is discussing money with my girlfriend. We're both emotionally uncomfortable around money conversations for our own individual reasons from our history. So for the two of us to have a money conversation together, especially the first few times, was just really uncomfortable. So we made those conversations a priority. Now, the old me would have tried to avoid that conversation ever happening 
or would have been overly agreeable so that it wasn't a conflictual conversation. The new me is like, as soon as I spot a topic that's going to be ugly to talk about, I bring it up. Get that elephant in the room talked about, no matter how, how you know awkward and weird and creepy and whatever it gets, I get it out the way so that we can rest and relax. You know, this first started with me with expressing attraction. You know, the one thing I used to hide the most was attraction, especially sexual attraction. And so the whole time I'd be talking to someone I'm attracted to, this big elephant in the room wasn't being spoken about. So I went through a phase of making sure that was the first thing I said to somebody I was attracted to. You know, if I started a conversation, I started with, Hi, I came to talk to you because I'm attracted to you. And just got it out the way. As uncomfortable as it was, it was much more comfortable in the long run than having to hold it back and mask and pretend it didn't exist, you know. Another thing I do with honesty is about getting honesty from other people. So I used to always look for people to agree with me and to approve of me and give me a pat on the back. And now I look for people to critique me. You know, I'm looking for someone to be skeptical about what I'm saying more than I'm looking for someone to pat me on the back and say I'm a good boy. So a great example of this, my current book, The Naked Truth, that I'm writing. I've actually got someone who's reviewing every chapter and their only job is to poke holes in it. They have to find out where I've stated a truth without a citation. They have to call out the flaws in my argument. They have to point out the sentences that don't make sense. And I said, I, I told them, I want them to stab me in the heart. I want them to kill the book if possible. So that I can make sure it's the strongest possible piece of writing I've ever done. You know, And I do that with lots of my work. A huge change in honesty for me is around emotions. I used to be very suppressive. I'd suppress my emotions and rationalize them to myself. If I felt an uncomfortable emotion, I'd go through a mental conversation where I talked myself out of feeling it. I would justify, or uh, what's the opposite of justify? I'd invalidate it until it kind of went away. Whereas now I just feel and express as much as possible. I might have an emotion that doesn't make sense or it's inappropriate for the situation. You know, common ones are feeling bored when I'm in a social situation. Everyone else seems to be having a good time. That's emotion I used to suppress. Being angry uh, or being in any mood that might ruin the good times. Those are the ones I used to really hold back. Now I let them out. So now if I'm at a party and I'm tired and bored, someone goes, how's it going? I say, I'm tired and bored. I just let it out, even though it might put a damper on their night. You know, I'll tell people I'm feeling antisocial. Or I'll tell people I feel, like, weird and awkward because I don't speak the language. Or whatever it is I'm feeling. Whereas before I used to hide it all. And I think this has been probably the greatest removal of shame for me. Because I used to suppress all my emotions, that's why I used to see myself as Dexter. I couldn't feel anything. Positive or negative. I couldn't feel excited about anything because I wouldn't let myself feel depressed about anything, you know. I wouldn't let myself feel angry or sad or disgusted or confused. And because of that, I couldn't feel happy or calm or relaxed or any of the good stuff either. So nowadays, whatever I'm feeling gets to go on stage. It doesn't have to wait. It doesn't have to hide in order to keep other people happy. It just comes out. It's like a bull in a china shop. I don't care if I ruin everyone's night. My emotions are top priority for me now. I'm still pretty suppressed. You know, that, that early damage was done. Like, it's hard for me to feel much of anything. I still really struggle. Like, I can't cry for some reason. It's always blocked. But I'm making progress. And that progress I have made is worth trying to make even more.
you know, I can feel sad now. I didn't used to be able to feel sad. I can be angry without losing my shit now. I can even be depressed without it feeling like my life's over. I can be anxious and enjoy it. There's some big changes that have happened simply because I let myself express emotion honestly. And last and, and not least with honesty is deep versus superficial. Now the old me used to keep things superficial. I was very, uh, I was a funny guy. I made everything into a joke so that nothing ever got serious or deep. And I kept it superficial. Talk about sports and cars and the weather and what's on TV. Nothing personal. Nowadays it's like the opposite. All I want to talk about is my philosophy, you know, how people feel, what's really going on inside their mind, the beliefs they have. You know, we're always taught you shouldn't talk about politics and religion. I'm like, that's the first thing to talk about. And I go immediately into it. Like I meet someone new and within five minutes they're either very uncomfortable or we're having a deep and meaningful conversation about our greatest fears. That's that polarizing again. When you talk to me, you're either going to have a real conversation or none at all. And I will scare you off with honesty if I have to, because I really can't be fucked with superficial small talk. It's just so soul-draining. There's just nothing to be gained in it. It's exhausting. There's no connection, no rewards in the longer term, just a little bit of in-the-moment comfort. And I realize that being funny, for example, is so much more meaningful when you're not trying to, and it happens accidentally during a deep conversation, deep, playful conversation. And I'd rather talk about stuff that matters. You know, these days when I have a conversation, it improves my life. I get to see the world from somebody else's eyes in a way I've never seen it before. It changes me. Whereas before I could talk to a hundred people and not be affected because I was so superficial. So that's how I bring honesty into my life. It's more of a reactive thing, but when it comes to creating content like this and so on, I get to be quite proactive. I give myself a pep talk, you know, be as open and honest as possible. Second to last value, acceptance. It's a huge one. It's probably my most difficult value. Of all the values I've had, this is the one I've struggled with the most because I'm a control freak in my core. I want to fix everything and make everything right. And most of the world is unfixable and will always be not right by my standards. So acceptance is one I really have to put a lot of conscious effort into. It's not as automatic as the other ones are. First and foremost, actually this one I'm doing alright with, which is the concept of letting go of outcomes. Now the old me was very much about outcomes. I had to get results, rewards, win, recognition, validation, approval, success. Those things were very important to me, and they kept me very anxious and very needy, and they stole the enjoyment from my life. I could only feel good when I was winning, which of course are small moments briefly occurring infrequently throughout life. And the rest of the time where I'm trying or losing, I felt bad. So these days, it's ironically like you live by values to live by values. Acceptance is about trying to only live by my values and not get anything else. Now rewards come, I can still have approval, validation, money, sex. These things still occur to me, but my intention is not to get them anymore. In fact, I'm willing to lose them in order to keep my values. I will be happy to lose a client through being honest with them. Something I call fearless coaching. I coach every person, you know, every session I have, with the intention to be so truthful that they hate me. Now, not deliberately provocative, you understand, but to make sure that I don't hold anything back just to keep their money or to keep their validation or keep their approval or keep their kind of admiration. 
I'm willing to lose people because it's so much better in the long term if I back myself than if I back outcomes. You know, you can't take, like money doesn't pat you on the back. Money doesn't give you confidence. But backing yourself over a consistent period of time will get you through anything. So I try to let go of outcomes as much as possible. And the most simple practical way I do this is to look for opportunities where being honest might cost me an outcome and to go and be honest in that situation. You know, it, it can be really simple, like maybe I'm haggling with somebody, you know, and you might, in a haggle, you might say something like, look, I've only got $20, I can't go a dollar over that. Whereas I'll say, actually, I've got $30 in my wallet, but I don't want to go over 20 So I'll be honest in a moment where it actually would have been more strategic to be dishonest, because I want to back my values rather than get the best possible outcome. Ironically, living in this way builds such a deep trust with people um, that you get more outcomes, but that takes longer. Another thing I do with acceptance, a huge uh, addition to my life practically, is journaling. It's probably the action I see people neglect the most. People in self-development, they still just don't journal consistently. There's a lot of reasons for this that I've been exploring One seems to be people don't understand what the benefit is, and that's because they're not doing it right. But also because, like the old me, people don't want to know the truth. They don't want to measure themselves. It's like how someone's putting on weight doesn't want to get on the scales. They don't want acknowledgement. The thing is, acceptance is the mother of all feminine values, so it lines up with responsibility. If you accept the truth, then you become responsible for what you can control. And journaling is about that for me. For me, journaling is about looking at my life and saying, what can I control and what can't I? And and the way I do that is by looking at what's really happening for me. You know, if I'm stressed, I write down, I'm stressed again. And I write it in responsible terms. Somehow I've gotten myself stressed again. Somehow I've allowed stress to build up again. How have I done that? And I explore like this. But the acceptance part is going, yeah, I'm stressed. I can't talk myself into believing I'm not because I am, you know, or I've been lazy with work and my bank account's getting low. I, I go and face that with journaling and accept that it's true rather than just ignoring it. You know, this is how people lose a lot of money. They just ignore their spending habits. They don't look. You know, I remember the first time I looked at my budget and realized I was spending like 15% of it just on Subway sandwiches. You know, I didn't want to know that when I was buying Subway. I just wanted to enjoy their juicy, delicious bacon and chicken fucking subs. But when I looked at my budget, I'm like, hey, I'm fucking crap with money. That's the truth of it. And that's what acceptance is about, is facing your strengths and your weaknesses by writing them down, tracking patterns, measuring numbers, and so on. So that's a more practical one. A more higher level thing with acceptance is switching my mindset, my mindset used to be very fixed on right versus wrong. It's a very rule-based, virtue-based way of looking at things. Very Ten Commandments. Somebody does something, it's either right or it's wrong every time. That piece of behavior is either always right or always wrong. There's no room for movement, there's no room for context. It's a way your brain tries to simplify life. It's easier to say, you know, stealing is always wrong than it is to say, well, why did this guy steal this time, and how much damage was actually done, and what's the long-term consequences? That's too difficult to answer, so people stick with right and wrong. And I used to a lot. What I do now is more of a helpful versus unhelpful, which is different from right versus wrong. For a start, it's contextual. 
Is what I'm doing right now helpful right now? Or is it unhelpful right now? Also, is it helpful for my long-term future? You know, this is also good to compare with good versus bad. If I say something's good or bad, especially based on how it makes me feel, I can become very, like, rigid. You know, if something feels good, I must always do it. So I'll just binge on chocolate and Netflix because it always feels good. But if I look at helpful, I say, hey, the guy I want to be is this confident, healthy guy. And I go, is binging on chocolate and Netflix helpful to that guy or helpful to me right now? The answer is no. So I try to ask myself helpful versus unhelpful when I'm at a at a junction where my behavior is questionable. That little question marks come up in my brain like, should I be doing this? That's when I pull out the helpful versus unhelpful debate versus trying to find a rule that says this is right or wrong. And I try to apply that to other people as well. Rather than be judgmental and say, you you are wrong or you're doing that wrong. I ask myself, is the way you're doing it helpful to the goal that you're trying to achieve right now? And that makes me a lot less judgmental of people, a lot more open to the current context and the reasoning behind what they're doing. A huge one with acceptance and, and its relationship with response, responsibility is focus on behavior. You know, acceptance is about understanding what you do not control, whereas responsibility is about focusing on what you do. And there's very fucking little that you do control. In fact, most of what you control is just your reaction to something you can't control. Acceptance is about me trying to find that reaction point and to draw the line there where I stop trying to move into an area I can't control. Often acceptance means admitting defeat, surrendering. It doesn't mean giving up on something you can control. That would be an absence of responsibility. For example, I'm not going to give up on my health just because I ate a pizza. That's lack of responsibility. But I might give up on making myself have abs if I've eaten healthy and gone to the gym every day for weeks and nothing's happening with my abs. I'm not going to try and control my abs, but I will try to control my eating and my exercise. So... Focus on behavior is really about what can't I control. That's the acceptance. Like when I got kicked out of uh, Czech Republic because my visa expired. Now that was from a lack of responsibility. I should have taken care of my visa, but I didn't. Now getting kicked out had already happened. I couldn't fight that. There's no point in trying to fight the legal system. There was no point in trying to fight the border system or the customs system. So instead I asked myself, like, what parts of this can I control? Well, I can't control the laws. I can't control how helpful the bureaucrats are. Very unhelpful, by the way. But I can control finding a place to sleep. I can control trying to make my business work while I'm away. I can control researching the best possible solution to this. And so I'll refocus on that. And I'll just let the other stuff go wrong, essentially. Because it's beyond me. This also applies to another system... You know, there's this kind of concept that you get taught, pick your battles, which is usually just an argument to be dishonest. But I find it applies with acceptance quite well, which is fighting against the impossible is a waste of your time. There's some things you just need to let let slide and refocus your energy towards something that matters. You know, this is why I've always felt that protesting is such a waste of time. It just seems to have no real benefit, whereas doing an action... That, that makes change happen, like role modeling change rather than bitching about somebody else's behavior. 
is so much more responsible. So, for example, if I'm going through Facebook and I see somebody's written some bullshit and it winds me up, I take a moment to go, is this actually worth me responding to? Or can, can I do something better with my time? Can I role model rather than complain? So, for example, like if somebody says uh, organic food's the only way to go, and I know that's bullshit, I know it's a big sort of money scam, but rather than trying to go, no, organic's crap, I can just show people that I'll eat in a rational, reasonable way. And they can just watch me do it and make up their own minds. And I'll just focus on what I'm going to eat instead of trying to change what other people will eat. I'll focus on what I believe in instead of trying to change other people's beliefs. I'll focus on doing what's right instead of trying to make other people do what's right. Acceptance is again that focus. Which brings us to the last value, respect. So respect comes after acceptance once you've seen the way of the world and know what you can control and can't control. Is to allow it to be that way. And to settle into your position, your role. To make sure nobody crosses your boundaries, but also at the same time to not cross other people's. To live and let live, essentially, as respect. And this is one, again, that I used to have a lot of problems with. Respect is also where you face the truth quite often. You know, as a result of acceptance, you come to terms with it. And I used to really struggle with that. One of the things I used to struggle with is other people behaving a way I don't want them to behave. Now, I used to assume negative attentions. Like, he's trying to be a dick. Or he's a bad person. Or he's trying to hurt me. Or he's against me. But after working at the Department of Corrections with criminal offenders for so long, I came to realize that all of them had a good reason in their own minds for why they did terrible things. And their reasoning process was very similar to mine. You know, one guy would justify uh, why he beat someone up. And I'd think, oh, that's a terrible thing to do. How could he justify that? But then I would justify why I was speeding or even drink driving. And I'm like, well, that's just as harmful. So how are we that different? And I came to realize that all these people I judged, I judged them by projecting an assumption about their intentions. By assuming I knew why they did things. What I changed is start to assume that they have their own version of a good reason for doing what they do. Now, it might not match what I think good reasoning is. And their behavior certainly might not match what I think good behavior is. But they think like I do in the sense that they've come to a conclusion that this is the best way to act. In the same way that I come to conclusions about how to act. This respect has allowed me to bring down boundaries between me and other people. I really no longer care about differences in race, culture, background, gender. All of these things seem very superfluous, irrelevant to me. You know, these, these are pointless pieces of information. They don't tell you anything about a person. You know, just because somebody acts different to me, it doesn't mean that they actually think different to me. It just means that their thought process has different ingredients to the same recipe, essentially, or the same process. So now when somebody does something that I don't understand or that I think is harmful, I try to find out why. I try to find out what their reasoning is, and in doing so, I might still end up disagreeing with them, but I'll understand them, so there's no hatred there. Respect has allowed me to remove a lot of hatred from my life. I used to have a lot of rage towards other people, and now I really don't. I just see us all as imperfect primates struggling for survival, and we're all united in being that. This led to a live and let live 
philosophy that I try to apply in daily life. You know, I used to try to either control people or conform to them. If I can make them like me, I would. I'd influence and trick and manipulate them into doing things my way. I could be very convincing. Or if I wasn't able to do that, I would pretend to do things their way. I'd fit in with them. Nowadays, it's more like I allow two separate worlds to exist at the same table. So, for example, Czech people are big drinkers. They love their alcohol. They drink all the time for every situation. And I don't really like drinking anymore. And physically, I don't react very well to alcohol anymore. So I can be out with someone, let them drink, and not drink myself. Now, respect means I don't try to stop them from drinking. I don't tell them that drinking's wrong. I'm not like a reformed alcoholic giving everyone else shit. You know, I used to hate reformed smokers telling me to stop smoking, and they spent their whole life doing it. Now, I'll let someone smoke. I'll let them drink, but I'm not going to. I won't let them convince me to, and I'm not going to convince them not to. And I do this with lots of things in my life. You know, I'll let somebody like something I don't like, but I won't let them convince me to like it, and I won't try to, you know, convince them to not like it. So that comes up all the time. When someone disagrees with me, straight away I ask myself, respect. Do I actually change their mind? Have they given me permission to change their mind? Have they asked me to change their mind? No. Do I want them to change my mind? No. Okay, we'll both just stay different then. And I just let that happen. You know, it's about, about the concept of fixing. Fixing someone, controlling them, changing them, without their permission, without their request, is an act of disrespect. And so I try not to fix people now, though I do have a compulsion towards this, especially with people close to me. Like, if my girlfriend's upset, my first reaction is to offer solutions to whatever's upset her. And I have to catch myself doing that and, and intervene to know the difference between support and fixing. Support is to be there with someone so that they're not alone while they suffer. Fixing is trying to remove their suffering. And I try to catch myself. If my girlfriend's upset, I'll just say, well, come have a hug. Rather than, well, have you tried this? What about this? Here, I'll talk to that person. Here, give me the phone. The thing that I used to do to try and make the problem go away. Now I let her have her problem until she asks for help. And even when she asks, I'm careful not to help with something I can't control or something that would be better off for her to do. If it's healthier for her to have the confrontation, if it's better for her in the long run to deal with the problem, then I'll give it back to her. But if she's really down and weak and she's asked for my support and... She wants to get this thing solved, and she wants me to do it my way. Then I'll step in and help, but not a moment before. Of course, I fucked this one up a lot, but it's something I'm working on actively. Respect is about boundaries. I used to be full of compromise. I would shift and maneuver and be a chameleon, camouflaged. I would fit in with whatever was going on. I wouldn't like to rock the boat um, when the real me didn't fit in with the situation. Whereas now I draw a clear line. Someone's trying to force me to drink and check. I'll say no. And I'll say no again and again. And then about the fourth time I usually give in and compromise. But I'm doing better with this. You know, I remember there was a time with uh, my ex-dance partner. Where she was getting, you know, the way she was, her attitude towards dancing was causing me a lot of stress. And that's not responsible language. Her attitude was dancing was something I reacted to with stress. And now the old me would have just let her keep stressing me out, and then started avoiding her. But what I did is I actually went in and said, look, we need to talk, and had that uncomfortable conversation. I made her cry. Well, she cried because of the conversation. 
but I was willing for that crying to happen so that a boundary could be set. I'm willing for that moment of discomfort needed so that somebody knows where I really stand on something. And that's self-respect. But also respects them. It gives them credit that they can handle it. Rather than trying to soften the blow and, and cushion them from reality, I let them know what reality is and react to it and have their have their moment of struggle and suffering so that they can come out more truthful on the other side. And I'll do this in all sorts of areas. Respect is often about going into a confrontation rather than avoidance or rather than having an overblown conflict. You know, I used to avoid conversations where I couldn't be honest without upsetting people. So a conversation about religion, for example. Whereas now if someone brings it up, I'll say, look, if you don't want to be upset, don't go any further this conversation because I'm, I'm quite intolerant about what you're about to say. And if they won't shut up, then I'll go for it. I won't dampen my truth and suppress what I have to say just so that somebody else feels better. That's self-respect, and it's also respectful to them. Like, if they want to go into this, I'll make sure that they're okay with it. But if they're not, uh, if they are, and or they bring it to me without my permission, I will hold the line. You know, I, like I said, respect isn't about trying to change their view, but it's also about not letting them change mine unless they've got better reasoning and better evidence than I do. And when I believe somebody's doing something harmful... It's not that I'm going to try and stop them doing something harmful, but I'm also very important to me that I provide a helpful alternative. If someone's got a worldview that I think is awful, I'm not going to try and change their worldview, but I'll make sure I, as many people as possible can hear about a, a more helpful and less harmful worldview so they can choose for themselves. So, there's obviously more to it than that in the way I live my life. But those are some examples and some key principles on how I apply values in my day-to-day living to make it a practical experience. And hopefully this will give some of you ideas. I don't want anybody listening to this to copy me, because that would be a loss of integrity. But just to have a look at the idea of how do you make this a daily practice? How do you make the way you live structured towards building integrity and therefore building confidence rather than just kind of hoping it will happen or doing brief bursts of action in between like days of autopilot reaction structuring your whole day to set you up to be constantly forced to live by your values essentially until it becomes fun and comfortable and automatic to live by your values and more appealing than not so i hope that helps i look forward to your feedback if you have any dan at brojo.co.nz if you like this episode share it around subscribe to the podcast or come and join us at brojo brojo.org slash enroll i think is the website if you want to have a look at our membership options and i'll see you guys next time for the next one cheers (laughs) 